you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Luke chapter 5 verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Dad, oh, Patrick. Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, City on a Hill, how are we this morning? Good to see you here. Thanks so much for joining us uh, for our service today. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Nick. I get the joy of being the lead pastor of this church. And today, the joy of diving into episode four of our Vine, Trellis and Crow series. If you are new or visiting, the bread and butter of our church life is typically that we take a book of the Bible and we kind of unpack it over a number of weeks from beginning to end. At the moment, we're doing something a little bit different in that we're taking a thematic series. This, this phrase, the vine, the trellis and the crow, comes from, from John chapter 15 where he's, Jesus calls himself uh, the, the, the vine and he calls us the branches that, that flow from the vine, but only kind of receive life and bear fruit if we remain connected to the vine. So we're going to take seven weeks, and we're in the middle of it now. Uh, what does life look like being connected to the vine? How might we live that life and bear fruit and live a life that flourishes? And so you've joined us for this series. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to uh, today continue off where we left last week. We were looking at a number of practices that Jesus himself embodied and lived out and set the example for us in, in how to live the best human life possible. How to live the kind of life that keeps us connected to the vine and bearing fruit for him. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in. So let me pray. Gracious God, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is is living and active. And uh, as I just mentioned, your, your word tells us that it bears fruit in us. And so, Lord, as the seed of your word is sown upon us and upon our hearts, would it find good soil that by your spirit you might bear fruit in our lives? Fruit, more love for Jesus, fruit of more love for the people that you've put in our lives around us. Would you protect us now from the crow, the, the evil one, and use your word today to make us the people that you want us to be, people who live in light of what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus. And so make Jesus big in us today and for us today. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let me start today by by just throwing out there the classic icebreaker question. If you could have any superpower uh, in in the world, what would it be? What would be that that, that one superpower? Uh, We love that kind of question, don't we? Because we love to fantasize about the removal of the limitations of, of human life. You know, for me, it's probably teleporting. You know, I'd love to go from here to there and all around the world in like a moment of time. I absolutely hate travel and I get travel sick. Last time I was on a plane, I got terrible travel sickness, nausea, 
I'd love just to teleport. It'd be, it'd be an awesome removal of that limitation. Maybe, maybe it's flying. Maybe it's, maybe it's being invisible. We love thinking about what would it be like to not be as, as limited as we are. And I remember a movie circa 20, 2011, I think, with, with Bradley Cooper, Limitless. Uh, and, and I remember this movie was all about this pill that you could take. And if you took this pill, allegedly your, your, your 90% of, of untapped brain power could be kind of brought to, to your disposal and, and you could use it in, in whatever way uh, you wanted. And so Bradley Cooper, whose name was Edward in the movie, he, he went from being this kind of flailing, fledgling, unproductive, lazy, wannabe writer to becoming this, this super famous, super productive author, uh, and then he became this super rich and, and prominent stockbroker, and then he became a, a presidential candidate, and it taps into that question, what, what would you do if you were limitless? Well, our text today, and a lot of texts really in the, in the four biographies of Jesus, the eyewitness accounts that we have of Jesus' life, we, we get to see Jesus' life, and in fact, in Jesus' life, we, we actually have a, a real-life case study of what is, what is the godliest and holiest way to approach that question of what would life look like if we were limitless? Because we see that God has taken on flesh and actually come and lived the perfect life, human life, in our world with us. In Jesus, we, we have someone who, uh, though totally human, fully human, was also totally, fully God. And, and, and God, in Jesus, submitted himself to the limitations of humanity by adding it to his godness, his, his divinity. And through the, those eyewitness testimony, that eyewitness accounts about his, his life, we see that, that him being God wasn't so veiled that he wasn't able at any point to do the miraculous. We know that Jesus' popularity, and we see it in this passage, that it was primarily just a byproduct, a symptom of Jesus being almost a superhero. Of, of him being able to turn kind of five, a kid's play lunch and feed 5,000 people with lots of leftovers. Of him being able to walk on water at will. Of him being able to heal the sick, raise the dead. And as we see in our text, heal people from chronic sicknesses. And so today we actually have the, the, the chance to observe how Jesus lived that kind of life with, with his, his divine superpowers with his energy, with his humanity, that he handled life with God on earth, we see that he actually handled it in a surprisingly relatable way. And so how we, he went about his life, you and I actually get to learn how we should go about our lives. He sets a pattern for us that we're going to look at today. We're, as I said, in the middle of this series, The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow, uh, in now the second week of talking about particular disciplines, particular spiritual practices, and what we mean by that is really just habits, things that you, we think you should adopt in your life so that your life goes well, so that your life with God is protected, so that you can flourish by living how God, who made you, made you to live and wired you to live. Sometimes if you've been around church for, for very long, uh, we, we, we know that the good news of Jesus is that you and I can be made right with God not by anything that you and I have done, but simply by receiving what Jesus has done for us. And so we need to humble ourselves and see that it's not about our performance, it's about Jesus' performance for us in our place. He lived the perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, and he rose again. And when we believe that, sometimes we then get very suspicious when we're ever instructed in the Bible to think about working 
to think about putting in effort, to think about being disciplined. And our antenna goes up, our alarm bells go off, and we think we might accidentally fall into working for our salvation. Well, these practices that we're looking at in this series are not that. These practices are not not works to add more stress and burden and things you've got to do into your life. No, these practices are what Jesus shows us are spiritually refreshing. They're about how to live life to the full, that we might bear fruit. Jesus tells us that he has a yoke. It's like something that was put on an ox to keep it walking straight. He has a yoke for us, but his yoke is easy compared to the world's. He has a burden to put upon us, but his burden is light compared to the world's. And so we don't need a break from all these practices that will help us live with Jesus. No, these things are the break. And so if you're overwhelmed, if you're you're flustered by life, perpetual busyness is taking it out of you, feeling like like you're living the way that you're meant to, welcome to the life that Jesus has for you because this life is calling you to something deeper, something more fulfilling, calling you to life with Christ. Last week, we looked at examination and encouragement. This week, we're looking at the practices of engagement and withdrawal. And so if you're not there yet, turn with your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 5. Just like Pat said, the, the words will be on the screen behind me as well. It's a short passage, so I'm going to read it out in full. But just for the context, before we get to Luke 5, obviously, what comes before Luke 5? Luke 4. Incredible, isn't it? In Luke 4, Jesus kind of bursts on the scene. His ministry begins. And it starts by him taking the Bible, particularly the Old Testament they had at the time, into the synagogue, and he starts reading out a prophecy from Isaiah. And Jesus reads it in such a way to communicate to the people listening that this is talking about me. Today, you've, been, you've, you've heard this fulfilled in, in your hearing. It's been fulfilled in your hearing, he says. And, and his hometown are completely outraged because they understand exactly what he's saying. And so they run him out of town because he's saying that he's the Messiah now who has come. And so Jesus is kind of, kind of pushed out into the, 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 the backwoods, the countryside of Israel there in the first century. And he goes around and he starts teaching and preaching. And we're told in Luke 4 that he did so with this authority that no one had ever heard before, as if this was God himself in the flesh teaching people. And to back up the teaching and the preaching, he performed a lot of miracles. He healed the sick. He he cast out demons. And then we come to to Luke chapter 5 in the midst of that all playing out. It says this, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now we could have picked many passages like that from elsewhere in the Gospels, in the, in the biographical accounts of Jesus, to illustrate this idea. I just want you to notice two things, two very simple things. The first is that we see in his engagement with the leper that, that Jesus is proactively pursuing opportunities to engage with and minister to people. He's getting out there to do things for people. And at the same time, 
even though his popularity was on the rise, even though more and more people were flocking to him with more and more needs, and Jesus had all the power that was needed to heal anyone and everyone of those needs, we're told that Jesus proactively withdrew to desolate places to pray. And so this is just one place where we see these practices of of engagement and withdrawal. Engaging with the world through service and ministry and withdrawing from the world for renewal and reconnection with God. Let's talk about the first one, the the invitation to engagement. Uh, As we read this passage, if you've kind of read any of of Jesus' life as as borne out in, in the four Gospels before, you're probably reading this very familiar with it, thinking, oh, Jesus is just being Jesus. Of course, Jesus is engaging with people. Jesus came, we know, to seek and save the lost. Of course, he's going to go out there and engage in service and ministry. Well, what I want you to hear today is that actually you were made to do the same thing. You and I have been made to engage with the world in similar ministry to Jesus. In Genesis chapter 1, where we get so much of our, our meaning and our purpose, because it gets back to the, the creation moment, God is making everything, and he makes everything he says good. And then at the high point of his creation, he creates male and female humanity, and it's very good. And so having made us in his image, he then charges humanity with this. It says in Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. There's a connection there between the blessing and the command. The part of the blessing is the commission that we have as humanity to go forth, be fruitful, and subdue the earth. And that tells us that we were made to make a difference in the world. We were made to build. We were made to to nurture. We were made to uh, help cultivate the world. You were made for action. Now, work and, and rest is going to be another practice or or double practice that we're going to pick up in a couple of weeks' time. And so for our purposes today, what we mean by engagement is is not necessarily just doing anything, but we get colour from the New Testament of of the commission that Jesus, from his life and his ministry, has for us of what it might look like to engage in the way that he did in his ministry. There's a moment after the resurrection of Jesus. He's lived, he's died, uh, he's risen again, and the disciples are in a room, and they're kind of like just just chilling out, kind of waiting. They've heard that, that, that Jesus might be alive. And then Jesus walks through a wall to them. You know, talk about limitless. He he walks through a wall. And then having walked through a wall, they touch him physically, just just for him to, to help show them that, hey, he's actually risen in the same body, that he is physically risen. And so they touch his scars, he shows them. And they're they're wondering, like, what's gonna happen next? This is this is kind of a game changer. What's happening next? Jesus says to them, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so just like the people in the room, you and I, like them, are sent into the world to continue to take up the ministry of Jesus by engaging with and serving our world around us. We know the very famous Great Commission. Jesus tells his people, he tells us, Go and make disciples. In the start of Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the fact that we've been given that charge, that commission, it also 
like, it's fitting that later in the New Testament, we're told that in response to what Jesus has done, in response to his, his resurrection, that the people who trust in Jesus have actually received spiritual gifts. That we've been empowered to continue the ministry of Jesus. You have been empowered. Some of the people in this room, we'll all have different gifts. We'll all have different experiences. We'll all have uh, different ways we're wired. And, but God is, is creating this, this beautiful tapestry with all of us so that he might display to the world something beautiful about who he is and what he's done. And so some of those gifts will look like you know, gifts of evangelism or hospitality where we kind of open up our homes and our lives and our mouths to point people outside of the knowledge of who Jesus is about the good news. Let them know about Jesus. And other types of gifts will be more like administration or teaching or, or leadership about building up those who already do know into maturity. And so all of us have been empowered for the charge and the commission, the blessing that we've been given. There's a story that Jesus tells in the Gospels that, that sums up the responsibility that you and I have well. It's famously known as the, the parable of the talents. Jesus tells about this, this master who was, who was loaded and he was going to go away. And so he, he, he gave his investments and his property to people who needed to kind of house sit for him for a time. And so he had three servants or three employees. To the first, he gave what was 20 talents and what would be equivalent today of about $9 million. Look after it, take care of it. I'll be coming back soon. To the second, he gave two talents, about $3.5 million. And to the third, one talent, about you know, just under $2 million. And so the one who had the most went and, and, and made the money and the investments work for him. So that by the time the boss came back, he doubled it. 100% return, incredible. $18 million. The second did exactly the same, made it work for him. 100% return, $7 million. And so the master comes and he's very pleased and says, well done, good and faithful employee. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'm going to set you over much. But the one who had just one talent, almost $2 million, when he comes to kind of tell the boss about the results that he'd accrued in that time that he was away, he says, boss, I know you're a hard man. So I was scared. So I just hid the money in the ground. Here, you can have what you left me with. Now notice that the guy with one talent, he didn't lose any of the master's money. It's still there. Maybe at the time inflation was in ter terribly bad or something. But, but everything that he was given, entrusted to him, he gave back to the master. The problem was he just did nothing. He didn't look for opportunities. He buried his assets in the ground. He didn't, he didn't risk taking that money and trying to make the most of it in his life, in his time. And so what does the boss say to him? The boss says, you wicked and slothful servant. How could you? You ought to have at least put this in the bank so that I could get some interest back. And the boss takes that money and gives it to the one who had the most. Jesus summarizes the story by saying, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so the takeaway for us is that, that you have been entrusted with a lot. Your life, your time, your energy, your power, your spiritual gifts, your responsibilities, the call to go into the world just as Jesus did. And it's a matter of use it or lose it. Faithfulness looks like getting busy for God's kingdom, about taking risks so that we might seek to have the greatest impact possible with our lives. 
so that we might meet our maker. And he might say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, this isn't a burden. Genesis 1 tells us this is the blessing that God has given. He's invited you up into what he's doing in the world. Our world is starving for purpose, for meaning. And we as Christians are swimming in it. Every single conversation we have with anybody made in the image of God, which is everybody, is another opportunity for us to help continue the ministry of Jesus by engaging them through word or through witness, engaging them in the good news of who Jesus is for them. Church life, while we're gathered right here, all the people around you and every combination of relationships that might occur in this room and a part of our church are opportunities to build up, to encourage, to mature each other as Jesus would. There's organizations outside the church, parachurch organizations with, with big missions to continue the Great Commission into the world that we can get our hands dirty in and get involved in. Not to mention household hospitality. If you've got a living room, if you've got a job with colleagues, if you're part of a sports team, whatever sphere that you are a part of is another place that you can enter into with meaning and with a mission to help display God's love for those people and God's invitation to come and be reconciled with God through Jesus. So where do you see yourself in terms of your own engagement with the world? Having planted this church some six years ago, uh, from the very beginning, I've, I've seen since that time, you know, there, there are some people in our church, they just lap this up. They are, they are high-octane engagement-type people. Maybe you're here. You dive in. You open your home. Anytime there's an announcement from the front, it's like, hey, we, we need this. You, you sign up. You know, your church center app, which we kind of looked at last, last week, you know, Every week, you're on multiple different things. Green ticks, absolutely everywhere. And inevitably, what's having to happen is that sometimes there, there are people, that are, as the pastor, you know, we end up talking about how we need to make sure you don't burn out because you're a yes to everything kind of person and you want to engage and make the biggest difference you can in your life. But I know there's also people in our church who, who like the, that, that last employee who was given one talent. You're just sitting on it. It's like you're intentionally staying on the fringe. You don't want to, you want to risk the discomfort or the, or the danger of entering into relationships with people where you might have responsibility to, to encourage them, hesitant for whatever reason to engage. You know, a movie very similar in, in plot line to the movie Limitless is one I saw last year, a, a more recent movie. It's called Free Guy. Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds. Free Guy is about the main character. It's called Guy. And uh, the main character is a, a non-playing character in the background of a video game. And uh, non-playing characters, for those at home, uh, are those who, who aren't controlled by the controller. They're, they're just kind of like in the background, like an extra in a movie. They're, they're controlled by the AI, essentially, the game itself, the script that's been written for the game. And so, so they, they wear the same clothes every, every scene. They uh, say the same things. In this case, they, they order the same coffee. And so Guy's going about his business, just doing exactly what he's meant to do, how he's been programmed to perform. But then one day Guy wakes up and he has this irresistible urge to wear different clothes, to say different things, and to order different coffee. He starts breaking the script. And instead of going along with his programming, he starts to experience emotion, he starts to experience agency, a sense of purpose and conviction. Suddenly the world's in color. He realizes he can, he can enter in to it. 
and be a part of something important. In reality, our world has a lot of, of non-playing characters. And in our part of the world, you know, Melbourneian, eastern suburban life, the problem is that all the non-playing characters are probably very busy. But you're busy doing things that have been decided for you by other people. Your career track's kind of decided for you. Now you're working 80 hours a week. Family life is decided for you. Now you've signed up your kids to five different things because that's, that's what you do, isn't it? That's the, that's the expectation. But you might be playing hard in other areas, but when it comes to the meta mission of God in the world that he has invited you and called you up into, made you for, you're a non-playing character. You're busy doing your own thing. Quite apart from the adventure that God wants you to play, where you're thinking about how to help build people up in Jesus. Because Jesus tells us that in him, we can experience life and life abundantly, life to the full. But we can't experience life to the full if it's, our lives are full of our own things, full of our own mission, full of our building our own kingdom. And so the blessing of, of this practice of engagement, of thinking about what is the difference that God wants me to make in the world, is that we get to be invited into this big story that's far bigger than us. Yet God still looks down upon us and wants you to be a part of it. And so he's empowered you by his spirit. He's put you in relationships with people. He's put you in workplaces. He put, he's put you in spheres of influence so that through you, you might see people brought from death to life, from milk to meat, and from now into eternity. And so how are you going at engaging with the world for Jesus' sake? You should think about that. Let's shift then talk about the gift of withdrawal. Look with me to verse 16 in our, in our passage, just that, that final verse. Luke says, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Notice how uh, the wording there. Uh, but he would. As if Luke's not just talking about this one single isolated occasion. He did. But it's a regular pattern of Jesus' life. Is that he would make it a habit to withdraw in these moments, these moments of great need, these moments of rising popularity to withdraw. It's incredible to think from our text today that, that Jesus, who, who, as I said, you know, turned a play lunch into feeding 5,000, he, he could have, didn't even need a pill, but a click of the fingers and kind of zap himself with 24 more hours of energy. And yet Jesus submitted himself to his human limitations. He slept. He rested. And to revive his own soul in his ministry for the Lord, he withdrew that he might be renewed for ministry and all the demands that were being placed upon him. This is what withdrawal is about, about strategic withdrawal. So that as we engage in God's mission, we don't forget that actually being with God is more important than doing for God. We want intentional and purposeful and temporary disengagement so that we can dwell in God's presence so that we can be renewed with, with vision and energy for what God has for us to do with it, the life that he's given us. Now, throughout church history, Christians have always kind of uh, had a little bit of an, in, an intra-house debate about well, what is this tension between kind of in the world but not of the world, about engagement with the world but also withdrawal from the world. And uh, monasticism or, or monks is kind of one way of, of seeing 
people live this out. Uh, and there was one kind of, you know, the more down the extreme end, uh, one famous example, a fifth century monk was a name called Simon Stylites. Uh, and he was known that uh, because he was famous for being so annoyed at the distractions of the world and being distracted from his prayers and his, his devotional life that he was outside the city one day nearby him and, and he saw that there was this kind of, this, this ruin, this pillar that was about three meters high. And he looked at that pillar and he thought, you know, I'm so distracted by how can I get away from people? How can I, how can I kind of get alone with the Lord? I'm going to live on that pillar. And so he lived on top of this, this three meter high, one meter by one meter square pillar. And the kids from the nearby town would come and bring out food and, and drink for him to be able to survive. And uh, there, there he kind of prayed his prayers and he, he, he lived his devotional life out on top of that pillar. The problem was that because there was a guy outside of the city in a pillar, other people would kind of go for a walk maybe one day and they go, hey, there's a guy living on a pillar. And so he became a bit of a tourist attraction. And so people would come out to see, hey, is this crazy guy living on a pillar? Let's go see it. And so he had to find higher pillars. And so he ended up moving. He didn't move house, he moved pillars to, to higher, and he ended up living out his days on a 15 metre high pillar. Again, on a, a one metre by one metre high, 15 metres from the ground, pillar. And so people would come to him for wisdom and advice or just to watch and he ended up dying on the pillar, dying in the, the prayer posture that he had crouched over in prayer. Now that's not really what I'm calling you to do this morning. You can take a sigh of relief. That's not really a, the, the withdrawal that, that we're talking about today. Instead what I think Jesus models for us here is, is temporary withdrawal for the purpose of renewing our hearts and then re-entering into the world for what God has for us. We know that engagement can be draining, caring for people, being hospitable to people, praying for people. In 2 Corinthians, Paul describes his ministry to, to the church in Corinth there, that he's spending himself for them. You know, he's, he's constantly giving over of himself for the sake of others. But withdrawal, therefore, is this important time, and paradoxically, withdrawal is the time that we get deposited into by God and His Spirit. A time to be alone with God and receive His power. A time to recognize and lean in to our own limitations as humans. Author Marshall Siegel says this, Some of us need to be reminded that as humans we are spectacular creatures made in the image of God and given unparalleled ability and opportunity to influence the eternities of others. The potential of any human life, of your life, cannot be quantified or contained. Others of us, however, need to be reminded that as humans, we are inescapably, inescapably limited. That as fallen people in a fallen world, our finitude really is part of our glory because his power is not only made known through our abilities, but made perfect in our weakness." So even Jesus, for all his glory, for his divinity, in his humanity, he embraced his limitations. He, he knew he had to withdraw to desolate places to pray that he might bear fruit when he engaged. So think about your own life. What do you need to add in to your life so that you might be able to breathe in more oxygen of love for people, of energy to be a part of pouring your life out for the mission that God has for us in helping people trust in Jesus. As I think about my own life, I know for me there's a few particular things that, that kind of give oxygen to my soul and, and kind of seem to open and widen my heart for what God has for me. 
Uh, I know it's good for my soul to be out in nature, specifically climbing mountains or near bodies of water. You know, there's something just being near a lake, a river, the beach. It seems to automatically draw my heart up to pray. I just, I just haven't intentionally thought, sorted it out. I just start praying in my soul when I'm around those places. I know my soul loves early morning golf by myself when no one else is on the course. Unfortunately, sometimes it also involves water. But I'm always you know, by myself, and, and, and I just automatically start praying as I'm, as I'm pushing my cart down the course. Sometimes I break into song. I start singing old school hymns. I have a worshipful moment because it's, it's beautiful. You're in that, God's created this, and God's put me here, and I can renew my spirit. It's a little bit morbid, but I, I, I particularly used to have the, the, the practice of, of going to a nearby cemetery. There's something incredibly peaceful and centering about being in a cemetery. No one goes to cemeteries these days, so you know you're going to be there by yourself. And anybody who is there, they're all dead. So it's, you know, you're completely by yourself, and it can be incredibly centering to, to, to be... It's like when David says, you know, Lord, teach me to number my days. There's something about that, that, that's life-giving to be reminded of your own death. And so, so often I'd, I'd find a headstone of someone who, who, who died when they were my age. And just the, the, the heart-wrenching opening up to well, the main thing that God has put me here for my life is about him. And it, it re-centers me on that main thing. What is my life? I want to give it and use it for God. And so it renews me to engage better with the world. And so this is what withdrawal might look like. We see in the life of Jesus, often he'd, he'd sneak away at night or in the morning and the disciples would wake up, Where, where's Jesus? They'd have to send out a search party for him. And they'd find him on a mountain in prayer or in this passage in a, in a desolate place. You know, maybe for you, your desolate place is some corner of your house before the kids wake up where you've got peace where everything's quite quiet, before your, your, your kind of calendar is hit and you're being reminded about where you need to go to next, we have space to be with God, receive from Him, and be energized for what He has for you that day. I was listening to a podcast this week where, where author John Mark Comer was reflecting on, on this kind of thing, and he, he raised the question, you know, what if, what if Jesus had a phone in his day? What if Jesus sought to kind of retreat and withdraw to, to desolate places and yet, like us, had a phone. We, we, we know he'd, he'd be in that desolate place and he'd be getting texts from Peter. Mate, where are you? There's all these people who want to talk to you. He'd accidentally open up his Gmail app and he'd have 864 emails from needy people in the city who wanted to come and, and, and minister to them. The Pharisees would be ripping him to shreds, completely outraged at this, this guy on social media. You know that Jesus would be perfect with words with friends. And so he's beaten Judas at, at, at cross, crosswords and, and, and Scrabble. But how much does your phone rob you of the opportunity to have this kind of withdrawal moment? This silence and solitude away from the notifications, away from the noise. Because every attempt at withdrawal ends up becoming just another moment where you've wasted time scrolling and flicking. And so withdrawal might actually mean putting our phone away for a morning, putting our phone away for a day to refresh our heart before our maker. Whatever works best for you. The important thing is to wrap into our life, into our, what we've called a rule of life or a rhythm of life, wrap into our regular habits, withdrawal moments that teach us that 
the main thing going on in our life right now is that, that we be with God. Is that we be shaped by Him to become who He wants us to be. That we enjoy the freedom of having already been, been reconciled to Him by faith. And that we live out of that reconciled relationship, a life that wants to bear fruit and serve Him. And so because we need that to be the main thing, we need that to be the main priority of our heart. This is why the gospel needs to hit our hearts. You know, sometimes I see our, our, our um, kind of assumed work and relationship with God play out in, in other areas of our life. You know, there, I know there are some people uh, in the world, there are some people I know in my life, not naming names, but for the sake of the illustration, we'll call this person Jules, my wife. Uh, you know, there are some people like Jules, my wife, where um, sometimes withdrawal might mean getting an Airbnb and heading out of the city. You know, if, we ever, if we ever get an Airbnb and head out of the city, you know, we're on holiday. But despite being on holiday and despite being charged a ludicrous amount for a cleaning fee, and despite knowing that just an hour after we check out, there's going to be a cleaner come in and clean this whole place up. Jules, my wife, should we get the family together for a working bee for a few hours before we have to check out to make sure clean the house? Is there anyone else who cleans the hotel? You clean the Airbnb, even though you know a cleaner is coming. When Jules was pregnant and sick, uh, we had a cleaner come in for, for a time. She would always clean the house to prepare for the cleaner. It's as if this impulse within us exists. That, that, hey, we've got to make sure we do the work. We're going we're to make sure we clean up house. And what was that phrase that was at the beginning of our series from John chapter 15? Jesus said, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. It's the same work spiritually. We have this impulse within us to think that, that we need to do things. We need to perhaps clean up our life before we get to be with God. And yet the glorious good news of the gospel that separates Christianity from any other worldview or religious system. The good news is that God himself has taken on human life, taken on flesh, and he's lived the perfect life for you in your place. He's died a substitutionary sacrificial death for you in your place. He's risen again into a new kind of life, defeating Satan, sin, and death so that you and I can be reconciled with God. And so what matters most is not our work for him, but his work for us. What matters most is not our performance for him, but his performance on our behalf. What matters and what has happened is not that we can clean up our life before him, but that he has already cleaned our life by the cleansing power of his blood shed in our place. And when you realize that, you are set free to live for him, but not to earn your salvation, but to live with him because you love him because you want to serve him, because you want to get out there and, and continue the mission and the commission that he has given you. And so you can withdraw when you realize that, when you embrace your limitations, that you get to just be with God. He loves you with an everlasting love. There is nothing, the Bible says, there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. If you are trusting in Jesus today, the most important thing that you need to achieve in your life has already happened. Jesus has lived, died, and risen for you and reconciled you with your maker. Think about how freeing that might be to engage for God, but also have the freedom to withdraw with God because what matters most is your life with him. And so the invitation to engagement and withdrawal is an invitation to step into this life of, of meaning and purpose with God that he wants for you. He wants you to have a real eternal impact in the world. Don't waste all that he's given you. 
with fiddling little meaningless things. Step into the meta mission that God has for you to play a part in your world for the sake of the people around you, knowing and continuing to go on in their trust of Jesus. And as you do that, he wants you to step into a deep life with him, a life where you live out your days receiving from him, being led by him, being directed by him, connected to him. Let me finish and land the plane here with just three very quick tips for your homework for this week. We don't always give homework here at church. In fact, we hardly ever do. I'm just calling it that. Three quick practical applications. It'll only take a couple of minutes. You know, get alone with God sometime this week. And think about these three things. Number one, plan your impact. We learn from this parable of the talents that God has given you a lot of things to make use of in your life, your time, your energy, your talents even. He wants you to make something of your life. He wants you to make a difference in the world. He's made you so that you might make an impact, have an influence in the world. But have you ever actually stopped to think about that? Have you ever stopped to think about well, what are the gifts that, that God's given me? What are the relationships that God's put in my life? What are the responsibilities I have that I'm able to work out for him? You should pause, stop, and consider what is the impact that God wants you to have in your life? How might it be that you should engage with the world for him? Number two, as you do that, you need to prioritize depth because as I said, you know, life isn't about what we do for him, but what he's done for us and who we therefore become. And we know in the third kind of employee, the third servant in the story of the, the talents, the way that third servant viewed his master affected his effectiveness. He saw him as, as cruel, as, as cold, and so he was scared to do anything. Your deepest relationship in life should be with God. The more we get to know Him, the more we understand Him, the more we'll be effective for Him, be a vessel fit for good use, Paul told Timothy. And so you've got to think about making a plan to move past the milk and into the meat. If you're a Christian, God wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. It's not just kind of staying down in the kiddie pool or in the creche. He wants you to graduate into knowing Him better so that you might worship Him more wholeheartedly, so that you might serve Him more effectively. And so you should think about that. You should have a plan to, to, to think about how you're going to grow up in Jesus. How are you going to, what are you, what are you, what's your prayer life going to look like? How are you going to read your Bible? How are you going to read your Bible with others? Think about going deeper with the Lord. And number three, doing both of those things, press into Jesus. We're not talking about some kind of arbitrary life that we're trying to craft here. We're talking about our relationship with Jesus. We want to pursue Jesus. He is the vine. You are the branches. You are connected to Him your whole life, your nine to five, your hobbies, your struggles, your frustrations, your joys. It's all lived out with Jesus. And so as you think about these things, ask Jesus, how do you want me to engage? How do you want me to withdraw? How should I set up my life so that I can follow you, Jesus, and make sure that I stay with you and faithful? So ask him for help. He'll let you know. Let me pray. Gracious God, we, we thank you that we get to gather here and we get to glory in the good news of what you've done for us in Jesus. We thank you that you loved the world so much that you gave your only son. 
that whosoever believes in him might have eternal life. We thank you that we're on our way to you. We thank you that we are coming home to you. We thank you that you are preparing for us a place in heaven for all eternity. And yet, Lord, we thank you even all the more that our life is now not on pause or autopilot or we might not be fall into being non-playing characters until we get there. Lord, that you want to have us live our life with you even now. You want to give us life and life to the full, the, the abundant life, a life of meaning, a life of purpose. And you do that by calling us up into your mission. And so, Lord, may we be a people who engage with you for your sake with the world. Lord, even now, point out to, to people in our life that, that you've put there so that we might engage them about you. Point out places and responsibilities you've given that we might use them to be people who seek to encourage people to go on in their trust of Jesus or to consider trusting Jesus. Lord, as we do that, would you give us wisdom and would you continue to call us back to the essence of our lives today and that is of being with you, of living our life out before you. Would you help us be wise about withdrawing that you might refuel us and re-energize us and empower us for the calling that you have upon us. Make all of our life all about Jesus, we pray. We thank you for his goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we get to be part of the most vital mission in all of the world. Help us do it alongside you with great faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.